Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Swineweb, Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm Matthew Rota, your host, and joining us today is Dr. Chris Richards of APM Animal Health. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. Thank you, Matt. Excited to have you on from Australia, headed into the Christmas season here. And for you, uh, I was quickly reminded on the call, it's a, it's a beach party where uh, I'm freezing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great time of the year for us to take a few weeks off and enjoy, uh, enjoy the summer of Australia. So can you tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you got involved in animal agriculture? And then what is an- APM Animal Health? Yeah, well, I um, I graduated from veterinary school back in um, in uh, nineteen ninety six, and um, from there I, I started a career directly in, into pigs. and And how that came about was when I was at veterinary school, I had the opportunity to uh, to study a topic for um, a local pig industry, and the topic I chose was um, was uh, SEW, uh, you know, early segregated early weaning. And as a result of that, I had the opportunity to spend some time at uh, at Purdue with um with uh Dr. Kirk Clark um as well as uh, as travel the UK with some uh, veterinarians over there so um from that it really gave me an introduction into the pig industry and from there um it looked like a, a very exciting industry to be in and and certainly um an industry that would provide challenges on a daily basis and really give the opportunity to develop a career so from graduation, I entered uh, directly into um, into the Australian pig industry. What um, made you want to be a veterinarian? Um, I um, I grew up um, where both my grandparents uh, had farms. So one one was a sheep farm, and the other one was a dairy farm. And so, really uh, got involved in uh, in agriculture from a an early age through working on those farms. And um, yeah, really from there. I knew I wanted to be involved in intensive animals or uh, or even potentially horses. So, you know, I always um, um, had a horse or I had the ability to ride a horse when I was younger. And so it was either going to be in, it was going to be in livestock for sure is, uh, is where I want, wanted to uh, end up as a veterinarian. Which, which grandparents' farm was your favourite? Oh, probably the the, uh, the sheep farm. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, sheep in, the sheep industry in Australia is a, you know, very large, uh, large industry at the time. Um, there was about 140 million sheep in in Australia, and so you know it was a very, very big part of our history. And um, you know, for us, we uh, we had a what would be a, a fairly small farm by um, today's standards, but gave a real ability to to get involved in in husbandry. And I think that was a really good uh, grounding because you know when we look at what we're doing in in uh, in livestock. Um, and particularly intensive livestock uh, as veterinarians, a lot of it is around uh, husbandry and production. That's about the time that movie Babe came out. 
Oh, I was a bit before then, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably in vet school when that came out. Yeah, yeah, but I, I really enjoyed the fact that um, you know it's quite interesting that when you know when we did have um, losses of of livestock, you know, sudden death on on the farm, then I really enjoyed the the ability to investigate that, you know, identify, try and identify what the cause was, and certainly starting as a you know even a you know a, a eight or ten year old starting to do postmortems and um, and trying to understand what uh, what might have uh, might have happened, of which I can't say I really. Um, really come to any conclusions, but I certainly got a good understanding of the anatomy of, um, of a sheep. What, what, what's your most vivid memory from working with animals on the farm when you were a kid? I think there's two things there, there was the thing that really excited me was the, was the, um, you know, the, the birth of a, of a new animal. You know, I think that's a really exciting process when that, you know, when it comes, when you've got an animal that comes into the world, um, but I think the other thing is, you know, the other thing that I remember are the tragedies. You know, in Australia, we had we went through a time where, um, you know, we've had severe droughts, and there was a time where the you know the government was providing incentives to destroy animals um, yeah. to try and reduce the the herd, and so you know that again was a pretty devastating um, time for producers, and um, you know it's both those highs and lows, and probably the resilience that. Um, that our farming industry builds um, as a result of the, you know, the, the highs and lows that happen. So can you talk a little bit about what APM health looks like today and uh, or APM animal health and how, I guess, like what did it look like at the beginning and what does it look like today? Yeah, well, um, I started off as a pig veterinarian and we, and we built a, a veterinary business. Um, we added on um, some verticals such as uh, um, boar studs and, um, and distribution uh, as well as you know, we're, we're actually um, at uh, at one stage uh, owned a couple of farms, operated a, uh, a PRC multiplier um, in addition to the boar studs, and so you know that really continued on um, for the first thirteen years. Um, we then um, uh, expanded, got diverse started to diversify into the other intensive animals, so uh, into um, bringing in uh, beef feedlot veterinarians, and then um, and then over the next few years into um, some of the larger dairy practices in Australia. You know, it was in, in 2015, which is where, um, you know, we had a real change in the business in that a lot of it being driven by what was happening um, behind the scenes around, you know, the recruitment of vets and changing requirements around vets. And uh, as a result of that, you know, APM um, changed in that we uh, went through a a, um, a phase where we brought in um five of the largest rural veterinary clinics into, into APM um, that gave us um, some significant scale across um, across uh, the various species, um, livestock species, um, and, and, again, gave us the ability to to invest in some of the things and, and uh, address some of the challenges that were affecting um, all the rural veterinary industries. Is APM the largest vet clinic of all livestock in Australia? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, so we're the largest um, veterinary group in rural and regional um, Australia, um, operating um, 80, 80 sites, um, around 65 um, what would be a typical veterinary clinic, as well as our intensive animal businesses and our ancillary um, businesses, such as our boar studs, as, um, as well as a, um, we also have a ram collection centre um, as well, as, as well as a diagnostic lab and, and vaccine, autogenous vaccine uh, plant. Do you uh do you recall what it was like getting started or 
what were some of the highs and lows when you were when you were getting started with AP Manual Health? I think um, at the time there was a real change in, happening in the industry from you know the traditional model of a you know a, a, a pig producer who tended to to be a mixed a mixed animal farmer, and there was starting to be specialisation around um, pig producers, and uh, at, at the same time there was starting to be um, veterinarians in, in, who were starting to specialise or you know, have a special interest in one species. And in, in my case, it was pigs. And so, you know, at the time, there was a lot of momentum around, um, you know, being a, a veterinarian towards a, um, a single species. And um, and so we certainly, you know, didn't invent it. We were just following a model that had been introduced in the US, you know, probably 10 or 15 years prior by the likes of, you know, Tim Lawler and Joe Connor and Gordon Spronk and those guys we were essentially just... Um, replicating the same model. Do you get to work much with those individuals when you were getting started? Yeah, I certainly did. And, um, you know, and they shaped uh, our business in a lot of ways. So, you know, I had a very close relationship with, um, you know, Swine Vet Centre guys and through Tim Lawler and Paul Yeski and, and Mike and, and, and Darwin Rokes, um, you know, really shaped uh, what our business looked like. And it was the reason why we, um, you know, ended up building um, a couple of boar studs um to service the Australian industry. AI at the time was probably sitting around 25% uptake in the industry and we're able to, you know, build that up to um over 90% over several years. So, you know, other practices such as um, you know, multi-site production and, and the pipestone system, again, things that we'd um that we, you know, started to implement in Australia. What was the Australian market's reaction when you started to adopt that model? I think producers were were um, you know were welcoming it. You know there was some a couple of other veterinarians who were also doing doing the same thing, and and I think there was this um, yeah, I mean certainly an appetite for it. In fact, I you know I remember going to a couple of early farms where um, you know where you know our clients were saying you know it's um, it's fantastic that um, you know that we've got someone who uh, just wants to focus on on uh, the pig business and uh, which is what their business was, which was quite interesting at the time because when I was starting to grow the business, I thought, uh, um, you know, maybe maybe I could do some consulting in other livestock. And I actually went and did a a, uh, a week course on, or might have been a two-week course on how to be a dairy consultant <laughs> and invested the, invested the money in that. And um, it was, it was, I thought it was a great course and very hands-on. And then I went and visited um, one of my um, core clients and I sat down at uh, dinner with them that night, to which they told me that they loved the fact that I only did pigs. And so that was the end of my um, my dairy consultancy career um, in about one sentence. <laughs> so what was one of the things that surprised you the most? You bring this, this model, become more specialized, you start to then diversify, then acquire and become the largest clinic group in all of australia uh what surprised you the most what was one of the hardest times and how did you get through it i think i think there's, you know there's always going to be difficult times some of it can be around um you know loss of key clients and and sometimes it can be around um you know when where you develop um you know veterinarians and then they move on and, and do other things or decide to go out with themselves so there's always challenges there and you know some of that's around um you know, maybe not providing what um, what they you know what they require going forward. So you know, it's always 
it's always uh, important to be um, thinking about what's going to happen ahead and um, and try to predict some of that stuff and um, and uh, make the required changes that you need to do. So I usually ask a few rapid fire questions and then we'll kind of break into what what does tomorrow look like for APM Animal Health and what does the future of the industry in your eyes look like? Uh, one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is what is your go-to comfort food? Oh, it's probably pork belly, I'd have to say. I do, I do go there pretty easily. <laughs> How do you like pork belly? Uh, well, um, I like it with a pretty crispy crispy top on it and uh yeah, so yeah, I mean that that's something that um, I tend to go back to fairly easily. So usually, usually with a red wine. Gotcha. Yeah, they had a pork belly the other day that was nice and crispy, mm. um, more meat than fat, and then it was like uh, glazed in maple. That was it was very good. Yep, that sounds pretty good. All right, next one. If you could have dinner with a historical figure, who would it be? Yeah, that's a that's a good good question. Yeah, I haven't really thought about uh, about that too much. So obviously, so yeah, yeah. All right, here's another good one. If you could meet a fictional character in real life, who would it be? Mm-hmm. Gee, you're pulling out the big ones today, Matt. Uh, yeah. Get you on your toes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd have to be one of the one of the. Um, one of the superheroes, I suppose. But uh, okay, yeah. Which one? Oh, no idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I kid you not. This is the next one I have written down. Mm. If you could have a superpower, what would it be for a day? <laughs> oh no, um, superpower would be able to uh, would be you know have the ability to move like a um, time machine. Like just be able to 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 appear anywhere would be just fantastic. Um, you know, if I could, if I could move, um, hundreds of kilometers in seconds, I think I could get a lot done. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Imagine being able to travel the world in just weeks. Yeah. I mean, what? just be able to, yeah, be able to move, move quickly. Um, would be, would be, uh, yeah. Fantastic power. So if you could travel anywhere in the world, what's on your bucket list? What's at the top? You've traveled a lot of places. I have, and I and I probably um, to tell you the truth, I I probably stay uh, stay in Australia and um, and travel to places that I've probably been been, been before or nearby. So certainly northern Australia, you know, up the Kimberley region, fantastic, fantastic mm-hmm. region. And so um, you know, really enjoy there or or down by the beach. So just somewhere where um, where you can sort of relax and and chill out for a certain time. Now, you know, having said that, Matt, as you said, I do travel a lot, and and when I travel, I actually. Um, you know, pretty get pretty exhausted because I do, I do travel and try to see a lot of things, and um, you know, and get and get a, a, across a lot of places rather than to you know sit still in one location for a few days. So, yeah, I mean, I think traveling is fantastic, and the more you can, the more you can see, um, yeah, the, the the greater it is. Just seeing, you know, getting across different countries and different cultures is is um, I think a really good experience. What's something unique about you most people don't know from our industry? Um, I don't know. Probably I'm an introvert, <laughs> which um, which I think yeah, which I, I doubt many people would sort of think that way. But yeah, no, yeah, you do a good job when you're in public for industry events, not appearing as an introvert. Yeah, well, I got to work pretty hard on it. I can tell you. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Why your travel destination is stay home and go to a beach. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think being aware of it, and then, um, and then really um, preparing for things. That, that's probably the key for me. Is that you know, um, just being prepared is a, is a really important part of um, of what I try to do. So when you look at APM Animal Health today, and you think about what your key objectives might be for 2024 hmm. that you can share, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, we've just been through a pretty rapid acquisition program over the last, um, you know, three years, and so for us, APM this year is all about consolidating, and um, okay. yeah, so it's about consolidating and getting the the synergies out of the the acquisitions that we've made. But you know, and so how how do we how do we do that? Well, it's about spending you know a lot lot closer time, um, a lot more time, and and being a lot closer with those with our teams, and and really trying to understand them. There's a, there's a lot of you know, a lot of um, changes happening in the industry, um, particularly particularly around um, veterinarians and and how they're going to work on a on a day to day basis, and you know how um, we're now transitioning to you know very flexible workplaces and consolidated uh, work weeks, and you know lots of different changes that are happening in the industry. So, you know that that's a big focus for us. Um, you know, around around our people. You know, I think the other thing that we're continually looking at is um, you know what? What are the services that veterinarians are going to um, provide in in the future? So yeah, you know, so you know, things that we sort of um, you know think about are um, you know artificial intelligence. You know how to how are we going to interact with that? You know, so it's it's, it's coming. It's already here. I mean, it's not even coming. It's already here. Mm-hmm. It's about how do we integrate that into our business and how can we use that to to meet some of the challenges. So. You know, that's one, you know, think about some of the other things that are happening around climate change, you know, in Australia, Australia's second largest supermarket um, launched its um, carbon neutral pork this year. So, you know, how do we get it, how do we um, be involved in that as well as other things like, you know, One Health, antimicrobial monitoring resistance? How do we get involved in um, preventing balloting, uh, preventing and being involved in um, a lot of these um, zoonotic diseases, particularly the ones involving, um, you know, ar- you know, which are arboviruses, which we know are spreading around um, the world um, through various reasons. So, you know, that that's sort of um, where we're really focusing on. Um, but I'll say at the moment, it's really around, um, you know, embracing and facilitating pathways for our um, for our veterinarians as well as our our other um, support teams. Yeah, we uh, we got what Tim from our team coming over in January to kick off the first farms with pig flow. So it'll be cool to see what it's yeah, like absolutely. working with your team on that. Yeah, look, look, we we're really looking forward to that um, because you know if you look at um, you know agriculture, um, you know workforce availability is a big issue, and and anywhere where we can um, improve workflows. Um, and you know, prioritise tasks and, and things like that to get better outcomes for our for our um, clients and, and their animals. Then um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting space, you know. And, and I say we we're very excited about um, pig flow um, coming in in the next um, next few months. Can you talk a little bit about what the Australian market looks like right now for pork producers and and uh, just what it looks like to be a pork producer in Australia. Yeah, so in terms of, in terms of what it looks like to be a pork producer, I mean, you know, our our um, piggeries are a lot smaller than the US piggeries. Um, I think our, our average size is probably close to 200, 250, 300 sales. But you know, 
it's certainly um, a consolidated industry and, you know, our top top 15 producers probably produce 85% of the pork. So, you know, that that's really what the industry looks like. What's Where it probably differs from the US industry is that majority of our, um, you know, pork producers consumed in Australia and we really um, are, are a low, you know, low volume exporter of pork, um, you know, mainly because of our, our higher cost of production. So... That's sort of, yeah, the industry is very much um, been moving and following, you know, what's happened in the US in terms of the way that we design our buildings and, and operate our, our piggeries. But um, with, um, you know, challenges around higher higher um, input costs, particularly around uh, grain and, um, and labour, um, as well as higher capital costs to expand piggeries, then um, that's sort of where, where our challenges are. So... And you guys have a genetic blockade, more or less, basically, right? Well, I don't know if it's a genetic blockade, but we haven't we haven't brought in any um, genetics for I don't know, only thirty years, I think. So, um, but we also haven't brought in PERS or um, or PED or TGE or any of those sort of things as well. So, you know, it it, it is a bit of an advantage in that um, you know we have you know very high product. Um, performance herds in terms of uh, you know having low um low post weaning mortality and and we yeah. certainly don't don't get the challenges that you have with um you know pers outbreaks in um in your breeding herds yeah yeah it was when uh Sean and Haley came over to the states to come and and tour a few farms for pig flow and do that uh we we kind of had the stereotypical um do everything bigger. I think the first time they got there, we did deep dish pizza with Chicago style. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, there was no way that they anticipated it being that much food. And I think we logged like 30 some hours of driving and the farm we went to was like 10,000 sows. And the, the total born was like 16 and a half. And <laughs> like, Oh, it was funny. But I think I, I think I almost fed them so much that, uh, that they popped. They, uh, yeah, and that, that's what that's exactly what um, what we see as well when I go over there. But, you know, I think the other difference about the Australian pig industry, you know, if you drive driving through, you know, Minnesota or um, or Iowa, you know, the piggeries are, you know, might be half a mile apart. You know, in Australia, you know, the piggeries could be, you know, fifty or hundred miles apart. So, you know, it's it's certainly in terms of um, you know servicing an industry. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you certainly drive a lot of a lot of kilometres, but then. You know, when you also look at it, um, we've got some advantages in that, um, you know, if we did get a, um, you know, one of these um, foreign animal diseases, then, um, you know, our piggeries are are separated. Um, or certainly, you know, a lot of them are separated by distance. Yeah, it's crazy for such a big for such a big country. I mean, continent. Uh, the fact that pork production kind of follows the coast as opposed to being up front and center like it is in the U.S. It it's spread all over the place. Yeah, well, it's very much around the um, the grain belts, but um, you know, but that is on the on the coast. Yep. So I feel like after meeting a bunch of producers from Australia, that Australian pork producers are, are pretty innovative. Can you talk to that? And is that a is that a fair read? I, I feel like they're very forward thinking and innovative. Yeah, I think you know, from my time in the industry, the Australian producers have been very innovative, and we've actually had you know structures in place where. You know, levies from producers have gone back into into R and D, and so you know our producers work closely, um, you know, with the with the universities um, as well as um, 
you know, within their own systems to to develop R&D. And so, you know, there's been some great things that have happened. I think also there's a very collaborative approach. Like if you look at, you know, when we made the um, the voluntary decision to phase out um, gestation stalls, then, you know, there's very much a collaborative, you know, a collaborative effort towards, well, how, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to do it? And, um, you know, within um, probably three years, um, you know, we developed a manual on how to, how to um, uh, operate a production system um, using various different, um, you know, various different um, systems um, for uh, gestation-free production. So, yeah, I mean, lots of challenges, for, for example, with, you know, with that. Um, but certainly, um, you know, as soon as uh, people were experiencing positive um, results and they were trialling things and they were working well and they were starting to understand you know, around um, density and, and, and how those pens had to be um, um, designed and things like that. Well, now that got shared across the industry very, very, very quickly. And, um, you know, and some of the initial losses that we, you know, we might have anticipated were able to be resolved very quickly. So when you look at the next 10 years of pork production, what do you think that's going to look like globally in Australia? Technology? Yeah, well, I, what does it look I, like? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're going to, you know, obviously with um, with the expansion of, um, you know, South America, um, they're going to be, you know, probably if they can get over some of the um, disease issues around export markets, then you know they're going to there's going to be a change in the in the dynamics. I think around global trade, there's no no doubt about that. Um, you know, and, and the US also, you know, obviously looking to um, continue to export but find new markets, um, you know, in Southeast Asia. So. Yeah, I think we're going to see a change in in global trade, and of course, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens with China now they've rebuilt up their um, up their uh, sow herd, and uh, and whether they end up uh, still you know requiring pork from other countries. So, you know, I think you know we're going to continue down the down the track of um, you know of of needing to be an efficient uh, producer, and um, you know, and and scale is going to continue to be you know really important. In terms of um, being competitive in a competitive landscape, so you know, I, th- I think that's going to continue to go. I mean, if you think of what's happening, you know, globally, you know, and the way I sort of see trends happening is they tend to happen in um, Europe first, and then they might come through Australia, and then they, they sort of end up in the US. And so, if you look at some of the things that have happened around, um, um, you know, the social responsibility things around animal welfare and antimicrobial usage and and things like that, um, you know, which really started in in europe and uh and the impact that's having now where you know there's a an industry that's um that's currently contracting and um and, and isn't isn't very profitable profitable so in some cases so you know i think um we've got to be wary of that um understand that there are going to be social responsibilities identify where the opportunities are to um to identify these niche markets so that um that if those those um producers or countries that that maybe don't have the scale or have those um the low cost of production can um certainly find somewhere where their product can um can go from your outside perspective when you think about all the things you just said do you think in 10 years the US is further ahead neutral or worse off than what it is today i think the US will will be um no worse off you know i think that um it's a very competitive industry 
and um, and and it's also innovative, and it finds it finds markets. There's no doubt about that, and it's continually looking at at um, at new markets. So, you know, I, I certainly don't think it's it's going to be um, going backwards at all. You know, I think it's um, you know we're going to continue to see changes in the in the industry, and a lot of those are going to be external forces. So, you know, like the prop coal stuff, you know, that that certainly you know has has that potential. You know, to go beyond where it is now and 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 um, cause the industry to to have to change. So you know, they're they're the things that are that are out there that um, are going to you know shape shape the industry. And, and I said a lot of these are external forces. We know you know, US has always continued to expand, and um, and um, every few years something something happens, whether it's um, PERS or PED or something that that. Um, Controls the um, you know the excess production, and then um, you get a um, a change in industry and a, and a restructuring of industry, and then it goes again. So you know, I don't think um, that there'll be any change to that. I think you'll continue continue to see consolidation in um, you know across uh, the global pork production industry. So when we look at technologies over the past five to ten years. We've had sensors, we've had computer vision, we've had cough detection and voice recognition and a lot of tech. I mean, for decades, we've had ESFs. Um, what 10 years from now do you think actually makes it to the finish line? Do you, do you think any of the technologies that exist today will go beyond from testing and it works, but it's only in a few places to truly saturating the market. And if so, what, what do you think that looks like? I think with technology, Matt, is that um, the only real effective technology is the one that solves a problem. Uh-huh. And um, you know, there's lots of lots of technology out there, but but not a lot of it gets uh, you know adopted on farm. And that's because it's 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 not a big enough win to solve a, a big enough problem. So. If, you know, it's probably the way to look at those technologies, I, I believe, is, you know, what are the problems that we're trying to solve? So, you know, we know we're trying to, to solve issues around, um, you know, uh, workforce and, and you know, and labour. So, you know, if um, things such as pig flow and, and other programs that enable improvements in workflow and reduction in needs for labour, um, you know, whether, whether they're apps or whether they're, you know, robots that are doing things, well, um, you know, I think there's a real benefit there because we know that there is a, a huge problem to solve. So, you know, I, I think that's where um, where where technology, you know, is really going to um, have a valuable place. So, you know, I mean, there's lot. There's as I said, there's lots out there, but um, unless it's solving a, a big problem, then um, you know, I don't think that um, that uh, pork production companies or, or veterinary groups are, are really going to focus enough on it to, to implement it. So, you know, the other thing is, is if we've got technologies, and they're only technologies and, and unless, um, you know, we can, I think, integrate um, integrate them into, um, we, you know, with people. You know, a lot of these things are, are just um, tools and, um, and they need to be um, integrated into um, production systems to be a real benefit. So, you know, being able to engage people, um, being able to... To have competency in um, in in the way that people are using these tools or, or doing things is really important. So, you know, I think um, again, it's coming back to people. The ability to train people and and have them be uh, you know demonstrate expression of competency 
competency is is really important as well. And so, you know, some of the some of the things that are out there, the Pork Avenue training program, for example, yep. you know, is something that's been you know demonstrated um, through research to to um, improve competency. So, you know, I think that's going to be a a big part of um, you know of what what determines what technologies uh, are going to be adopted. Yeah, it's the difference between augmenting a process and truly automating it. We were talking about that the other day with a group. It's you've got, let's say, computer vision identifies an animal is sick. Well, you only get the value when a person treats the animal or responds. And if we don't respond consistently, then the ROI is inconsistent if we don't respond consistently. Yeah. And like somebody we were talking about, and, and I think computer vision is going to be a big part of the future. I don't know when. Uh, but I think that there's opportunities there. But even if you're using it for weighing weighing hogs, if if you're so big that it's not easy to change where you're where you're selling pigs from, um, like you're gonna have to be. If it's telling you, well, hey, actually, if you sell half of this barn instead of half of that barn, like you get an advantage. Well. Can we actually shift the whole system fast enough to take advantage of those opportunities, or is that something only the smaller producers are going to be able to truly utilize? And we're still going to have to respond. We gotta, we gotta use, like you said, it's a tool. We have to use the tool. The tool isn't going to do it all for us. And if we don't use it consistently, then we can't really bank on a, on an ROI. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree totally. I'm saying you've got to, be, it's got to be solving a problem. And as you said, like, there's no point weighing, you know, you can invest in technology to weigh pigs or you can just sort them on the, you know, on the kill line. Like, you know, so it, it, it's really got to solve a problem. If you had a problem or, or a, a problem that you wish could be solved or a wish for something that could exist in 10 years, what would it be? I'm not too sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe even oh, ten-year ten questions, Matt. I'm I'm trying to work out <laughs> how to solve solve today's problems. All right, today's problems. Here we'll we'll look closer. All right, there's some person sitting out there, maybe listening to this, thinking, you know, I want to solve a problem in the swine industry. What is Chris's problem? What is Apium's problem? What are veterinarians' problem? What do you need I, solved I, now? Uh, our, 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 I think our problem is um, is how to how do we um, you know reshape you know or change the way that we operate veterinary businesses or even or even any other support businesses to um, to you know livestock industries to be an attractive workplace. So you know if we look at um, you know I take veterinarians for example. You know, if we look at the difference between what happens in rural veterinary practices and what happens in, in city practices in terms of, you know, what are offered to employees, the hours that they work, how they can work, all those sort of things, and um, and then you match that up with, um, you know, what, uh, what do um, new graduates want, then um, we need to change. We need to change the way that we're operating, you know, our practices, we need to, at the same time, um, reset the expectations of our clients on um, on how they're going to be; those services are going to be provided, you know. And so, you know, that's the thing that um, that we're working on because we, you know, we see, you know, unless we can um, do that, then um, we're not going to be getting, um, you know, any um, veterinarians wanting to come into the um, into the livestock industries and you know, rural and veterinary practice. 
So speaking on labor, I, I got a question for you. And if if you don't know how you want to answer this, we can just pass and I got mm. something else. But when we look at the labor situation, it very quickly went from regional hiring, no matter where you were, to global competition. I mean, we skipped national competition and went straight to globally mm. competing for labor with other countries. Uh, both the U.S., Canada, Australia, and other countries are heavily sourcing individuals from the Philippines. Uh, what does Australia and Australian pork producers need to do over the next set of years to be the most interesting and enticing set of producers to work for? Why would somebody from the Philippines or um, Japan or Mexico or Brazil or wherever they're coming from want to work for producers in Australia versus producers in the US or Canada or some other country? I, I think from, from my experience in, um, you know, piggery workers in Australia, I don't think they're any different to any of the, you know, younger people coming into all our industries is that they, you know, they want to be part of a team, that's for sure, but they also want to, you know, but they want to develop. You know, so they want to they want to be valued, and um, and they want to be able to develop their skills, develop their careers, and be recognised for what they're contributing to whatever the to what to whatever the outcome is. And so, you know, I, I think if you can um, make yourself attractive to say, you know, you're going to be part of solving solving a problem that we're trying to to um, do, and that might be to feed the world, it might be to to um, you know, ensure that we've got sustainably raised healthy animals. Then um, you know, if they've got a purpose to um, to, to a role, and then um, they're being developed in in order to you know be able to um, fulfil that purpose. Then I think I think that's the motivating you know the motivating factor. Um, and I don't think it's a, you know just in pig industry. I think it's across all you know all walks of life. That's that's you know how people want to. Um, live their lives going going forward. I like how you said purpose because the millennial generation and especially the generations below them, uh, mm. that that's a big deal. And um, I've seen it, especially when management of companies change hands is sometimes in the change of management, there's a lack of communication of purpose. And you talk to employees and they're like, we really don't know who we work for anymore and why and and what we're even trying to accomplish. And then they all leave and they go find the producer who's very vocal about what they're going out there and trying to solve. And um, I'm wonder if, if feeding the world has become too cliche for the new generations and what they're looking for and understanding what purpose means. It, it, it is right. Because yeah. if you sort of look like purpose is why do you get up in the morning? You know, why do you get up and go to work in the morning? What are you trying, you know, what is the purpose of doing that? Whereas, you know, when we talk about feeding the world, that's more like, a, you know, a vision of what happens if you do this every day. If you achieve your purpose on a daily basis, you know, where, where do you end up? Well, you know, you end up, you know, if you, you end up feeding the world. So, you know, I think, you know, purpose is, is the major driver, you know, for um for people in the workforce because it's it's sort of saying you know what are they aiming for but then you know it also enables you to look at um what they do on a daily daily basis and is, is it aligned to the to the purpose of what what we're trying to achieve and and what we're telling them that we're wanting them to to achieve so 
you know, I think um, as you as you've said, it's um, it's really important, and I think that um, you know, and it needs to be um, communicated through um, everybody within a team. So, you know, I think no, you're that's right. great. So, before I ask you your golden nugget, I'm actually going to uh, talk about the pig news of the day that we've mm. been doing. And apparently today it came out that in Great Britain, which I don't know how many Brits listen to this, but it says that Aldi is going to be launching on December 19th. So it's already launched, I guess, or it's going to be, yeah, not 19th, but they're launching a pig-in-the-blanket flavored ice cream. And they're expecting like 400. It's insane, the number. But yeah, pig-in-the-blanket flavored ice cream. And I don't know. I'm I'm all about more pork products, but I don't know if that's a positive thing or not. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. No, well, I I, I disagree, Matt. So you know, you think it I, good? yeah. Well, again, I um I attended many Australian uh, pork industry dinners over the year and over the years, and um, on multiple occasions, I've seen I've actually seen bacon served on uh, on on top of ice cream. It actually goes extremely well. So oh, I've seen that. Yeah, no, that, that tastes good. I'm with you. I, I am curious because I guess the flakiness of the the blanket. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I'm curious if anybody's listening and you're in Great Britain <laughs> and you have the opportunity to try this ice cream. I please ask you to reach out because I need to know what this uh, this is a good thing or a bad thing. So, what is your golden nugget, Chris? What's your word of wisdom from your career and life? And it doesn't have to be centered around swine industry or ag. I mean, I don't want to be too cliche, but I think, um, you know, for me, it's just um, surround yourself with people who know a lot more than yourself. So, you know, that, you know, even if we look at, you know, from a veterinary point of view, I've, I've always had um, people around me who um, who I can tap into, call on um, or take with me to, to be able to provide, um, you know, the information that I don't have. So, you know, and, and that's really, um, it's no different now. Um, you know, in terms of what we're doing at APM, it's all about surrounding surrounding myself with people who um, who uh, know a lot more than what I do around um, around the veterinary services. Yeah, it's hard to do it all. It certainly is, and it's a lot of work to do it all. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast, Chris. Uh, wish you guys the best at APM Animal Health headed into the new year. No worries. Thanks, uh, thanks, Matt. It was uh, great to join you. Have a chat. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.